Canyoneering is a dangerous sport and requires a permission slip from your mother. The hosts of this podcast are good-looking, but stupid, and frequently make things up. This podcast has considered fake news in 27 states. To accommodate colorblind canyoneers, listeners should only use black webbing. And now, the unqualified hosts of the Canyon Tech Podcast, Wayne and Vin. Hey, everybody. This is Wayne. Vin, say hi. Hello. Vin, it's exciting because uh, we've had a couple of podcast episodes now, and we have some reviews and comments that I want to share with you and our listeners. So the first one, it says, you guys are funny. Suggestion, you should be funnier. Okay, that's fair. All right, all right. So yeah, I agree with that. So the next one is, it's so great that you have a podcast. I look forward to hearing it someday. Now, that's a quote from every one of our friends, Vin. Uh, apparently, they're not impressed that we have a podcast. And then the, the third one is, you said Prusik, but it's pronounced Prusik. And also, it's not Munterhitch, it's Munterhitch. No one cares, Wayne. Yeah, you're right, Vin. So let's, uh, let's talk about canyoneering. And today, uh, our topic is knots, bends, and hitches. And so there is a difference uh, between each one of those three. So let's talk about the definition before we get into those that um, we would suggest that canyoneers know uh, very well inside and out. Um, so the first one is not everybody, I think, knows that. But, you know, technically the definition is when it's tied, it's self-contained and self-supporting. So it, um, you know, you can clip a carabiner into it, you can take the clear carabiner out, and the knot is basically the same. Uh, the second thing is a bend. Tell us about a bend, Vin. Uh, a bend is when you're connecting two ropes together. Okay. And then the third is a hitch. So unlike what I said with a knot, a hitch is used to make a rope uh, bind to another object. So in canyoneering, we're often doing that with a carabiner. Clove hitch is the most popular one, which we'll talk about in a second. And so, um, and there's, but there's other friction hitches like your VT. Um, but if you take the carabiner out or if you took a rope out underneath um, if you took a carabiner out of a clove hitch, it would fall apart. If you took the rope out from underneath your, your VT press uh, wrap, your friction hitch, it would fall apart. So that's the, that's the difference. Um, do we really care about these differences when we're talking? No, not really, but it just gives you a concept. It's some of the terminology. And, uh, but what I did find that was interesting, a little nerd alert, uh, on this one. So some, uh, details around canyoneering. There's a difference between a bite and a loop, Vin. And so a bite uh, is a big bend in the rope and the line comes back in itself but does not cross over itself. A loop is where there's a turn in the rope and the lines cross over each other. So if you really want to impress your canyoneering and climbing friends on, on the tech, technical of the rope, you can correct them on the difference between those two. Uh, a couple other uh, terms that we use a lot is dressing a knot. So tell me what that means, Vin. Yeah, dressing a knot is after you've tied it, you're taking a little bit of effort to make sure that the lines are looking the way that they're supposed to. Um, it has a couple of effects. One, it does affect the strength of the knot. It also improves the ability for other people to inspect it. Uh, and it actually can have a pretty big effect on your ability to untie it after it's been loaded. Yeah, so overall performance and the figure eight knot, I would say, is the number one that we end up dressing to make sure that uh, those, those uh, two lines go through in a nice 
fashion, as you said, it makes it much easier to see that the figure eight is correct when you do that. And then the other is setting a knot or a hitch. And so that's just the process of tightening it, uh, pre-tightening it, if you want to say that, before you load it. Um, and it's really for safety and performance. So a clove hitch would be number one. You put a clove hitch on a beaner to use as a block. And you're going to want to make sure that you set it a little bit because it's more likely to slip um, if it's not set appropriately. So that's some of the basic definitions. Um, and so now we want to talk about those uh, essential knots and hitches and bends that um, we would suggest that you know, and again, know well. Um, and part of that is even if in a canyon, um, you're not replacing webbing that often. And so you've got, you know, a water knot that you're not 100% sure that you could remember how to do. You at least need to know um, how to be able to view it and make sure that it's done correctly. Um, so let's talk about the water knot. Then what do we usually use that for? Mm, yeah, I think the only time I've used the water knot is to take a length of webbing and connect it into a loop, usually in the application of making an anchor. Um, relatively simply, it's doing an overhand and then tracing it through with the other end of the webbing. Right. So in order to make sure that that's done correctly, your tails will be coming out the opposite ends. And then the other thing that I look for is making sure that those tails on the um, that come out of the knots are at least the width of your hands. That's approximately four inches, or if you're our uh, beloved listener in Slovakia, that'd be about 10 centimeters. Um, so that's, uh, so that's what you want to pay attention to when you're in and, and especially on webbing every once in a while, maybe one out of every a hundred or so, um, anchors, you'll see somebody tie an overhand or a couple of overhand knots, um, in webbing. And that's just not as strong. It, uh, it can roll out and pull apart. So that is one that you want to make sure you're paying attention to. Um, so let's talk about an overhand bite. Uh, again, most of the time we would use that in webbing, right? So um, after you've done your water knot, you've got some loop or loops that you're pulling together and you're just going to do a simple overhand knot uh, on this bite. And so most of the time we're going to put the repeat in there and it's made generally there's some redundancy, right? And also to limit an extension, we're going to talk about in the next episode uh, a little more about anchors and, and what makes a good anchor. But some of that is if one of your anchors were to pull or the webbing on one side were to break, that overhand uh, knot uh, on a bite for the webbing is made to make sure that there's no uh, slippage or minimizing the, the slippage and the, and the jolt to the overall system. Um, and then another option, a lot of times when you have longer anchors that get to an edge to make the uh, pull easier, then we put an overhand um, on a bite in the webbing somewhere in the middle or back up toward the beginning of the anchor. And what do we do that for? Yeah, that's an application that we do called a courtesy anchor. Um, and you'll coat the repeat to that bite, which makes it a lot shorter, allowing all the people to go at a very comfortable uh, transition over the edge. And then you just unclip it. The last person has to kind of deal with this not great start, but you get the advantage of having a really great pull. Yeah. So especially for people that are, are newer and may not be so um, comfortable going over various edges so that uh, courtesy anchor can really help them out. And then the last thing I want to talk about relative to either water knots or um, an overhand bite on webbing there's a trick for getting them unstuck, right? So after you've waited another a number of times, maybe you're trying to um, adjust the knot or something you don't like the way, the direction that it was um, uh, built in the first place and you want to adjust that. If you, you can't always make this work. Um, if, there's, if it's biting very hard, roll the ends like you're going back to 
elementary school and you're rolling a hot dog out of Play-Doh, so you roll your hands back and forth, that knot will actually work itself apart um, pretty nicely uh, if it's a water knot or an overhand bite. So give that a try the next time you've got something stuck and you're trying to um, untie it. Uh, Okay, so let's talk about the clove hitch, uh, which we use quite a bit uh, on rigging static. Uh, Tell me about that, Vin. Yeah, this is probably the most popular way to rig a block in the canyoneering community. There are some new things coming up, um, but tying the clove hitch, putting the carabiner in it, setting it kind of acts as the block against the repeat where the carabiner just can't physically fit through the repeat, allowing you to repel on the other side. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a fairly strong hitch. So that's positive. It's really easy to do. The one thing that you, um, again, also want to get to the point where you recognize a clove hitch at a glance, if you're just inspecting it is because there is a very similar hitch called the Munter hitch, which is a releasable hitch. So we're going to come back to that in a few minutes, but, um, you just want to make sure, cause if you do a, a clove hitch one way, it's very secure. If you do it another way, it is a Munter hitch and it will slide. Um, and so you have to be careful uh, that you're doing it right. You need to visually do it if you're tying it. Um, and then also if you're the first one to, to step up and to repel down, you want to make sure that you're glancing at that block to make sure that it's done correctly. Um, just in case it's not done correctly, the next thing that we often do is um, put a figure eight on a bite. And so we'll back up that clove. So we'll have um, a little bit of slack in that system and just clip it up into the webbing. It really acts as a backup in two different ways. One is if the clove was um, is going to slip a little bit because it wasn't uh, set properly, or if it ended up accidentally being a munter and it's going to slip completely, that it'll just, um, a little bit of slack will come out of the system and the figure eight will grab. So that's great. And then uh, the other potential, uh, anytime you do a, a clove hitch as a block VIN is going off the wrong side. Uh, so of course we've got the figure eight on the bite, um, which means then even if I did happen to get on the wrong side, assuming I'm not going down last and I've already taken that out, um, then it will uh, also grab and make sure that I'm, I'm secure until hopefully I realize what I'm doing um, before I get too far down, down that rope. So, uh, so the figure eight on a bite is just, uh, as you said, to get this uh, bend in the rope, and then you create a figure knot, figure eight knot. It's very strong um, and uh, easily done, uh, quick to do, and also easy to inspect. So those are some of the benefits of it. Uh, the next one we want to talk about is the girth hitch. When do we usually use that, Ben? Mm, the primary application for the girth hitch is usually attaching a sling or some uh, kind of personal anchor system to your harness. Yeah, so it's a really simple hitch in that you're just feeding one end of the um, of the sling through the other, and essentially it just uh, grabs onto whatever um, you have put it onto. Again, usually the center point, as Vin was saying. Um, so it's, again, relatively strong, simple, uh, easy to see that you've done it correctly because it falls apart if you didn't. Um, so that's a good one to know. Make sure you understand if somebody says to do a girth. So let's talk about the uh, bends uh, in, in terms of putting two ropes together that are uh, of similar size. So there is a difference between similarly sized ropes and differently sized ropes, or maybe rope and webbing. Um, so, and one of the things that we look for, because you could, um, you know, put 12 knots into the, to the same rope, right? If you're not sure of what you're doing, the, the old adage is that more, more knots are better. But the issue is, um, as we move through a canyon, we want to be able to get those 
ropes back apart again. So just, it's not so much about just getting them together. It's which knots do we use in order to make sure that they're coming apart. So the number one, uh, then talk to me about it, the figure eight bend. Um, the figure eight bend is, it's a, it is a great way to uh, connect two ropes together because it, it almost always works in all applications. So it's a rethreaded figure of eight that you make on one side and then trace through with the other line. Yeah, and, and so the tails, just like on our water knot, will come out the opposite ways. Um, and so you want to make sure that that happens because if you're doing uh, a figure eight where the tails are coming out the same way, um, it's more likely to roll apart. And that is not a recommended way for uh, doing a bend and putting two ropes together. So you do have to make sure that you know the difference um, because there also is a figure eight follow through um, or also called a rethread where let's say you do a figure eight, you go around a tree or a rock and then you run um, that, that end of the rope through the figure eight in the first place. So that's a valid knot, but that's for going around something. So essentially you've created a figure eight on a bite but, you know, obviously you can't uh, create a figure eight on a bite and then loop a whole tree. So you're just doing it in a more manual fashion. So, again, contrasting your figure eight bend where the tails are coming out opposite ways and the other figure eights where you're going to have the, the line, the main line, um, yeah, the standing end of the rope and, uh, and that tail coming in, pointing in the same direction, if you will. So you have to make sure you know the difference between those two. And then uh, the next one, a good option for putting two ropes together again, similarly sized, is the double fisherman's. So tell me a little bit about that, Ben. Yeah, the double fisherman's is, it's a great way to connect. Um, you're going to basically tie like a two-wrap barrel knot on either side, uh, and they load against each other. I think you also use it a lot when you're making homemade prussics. Um, one of the issues I have, I know you guys use it a lot in search and rescue. I think it, I think it, welds a little bit more and it's a little bit tougher to get out than some of the other options we have. Yes, it, it does. And, um, and also there's a version of the double fisherman's called the triple fisherman's. It's essentially the same knot. You're just wrapping, uh, around that, um, other end one more time. So, you know, it may be slightly more secure for certain uh, situations. Uh, again, not much more difficult to learn, but if you hear about them, they're essentially the same, same knot, same concept. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about if you're putting two very differently sized ropes together. So again, the figure eight bend and the double fisherman's are generally within, you know, with within maybe one millimeter or so. Um, those are great choices. But if you're putting things together like rope and webbing um, or maybe rope and a pull cord, uh, talk about how we're putting that pull cord on or that webbing on, Vin. Yeah, and, and this is kind of where it gets really interesting between like when things are different sizes, they act very different when they're tied together. Uh, so in the situation that you mentioned, the pull cord, a lot of times we'll use uh, stacked flat overhand or otherwise known as the EDK. It's basically two overhands put next to each other. The primary one acts as the way to connect, um, but it will roll under tension. And so the second one actually stops it from rolling. Yeah, so those two flat overhands need to be placed near each other because, again, obviously you don't, if, you're, if they're a couple inches apart, all that's going to happen under severe load is the one's just going to roll till it gets to the other one anyway. So you might as well keep them um, as close as you can. You're going to want to make sure um, also that you have a fair amount of tail. So unlike on our water knots, we were talking about four inches, 
you're going to want a minimum of 12 inches. Most of the recommendations I've seen are more like the 16 to 18 inches of tail. So a fair amount of tail would be 40, 40 centimeters for our international listeners. And, um, and there's a, a reason why um, we use these knots. And that is, you know, on the pull side, you want to make sure you don't have this big fat knot that gets stuck in cracks and or get caught on a rock on the way down. So the way these are tied together, um, you know, really has the end sticking out. So if you're pulling over the cliff side, it tends to um, move the knot over the edge without getting jammed against the edge. So that's why we use it. Um, I know that in the climber world, uh, you've got, you know, folks will actually use that and repel on it. Um, it is a relatively strong knot or set of knots, I guess, as we're describing them, um, in order to be able to repel on them. I would contend that there is far better choices for putting two ropes together if you're actually going to repel on it. Um, and also, I have seen um, some data that shows that even if you've got a difference between a nine millimeter rope and a 10 millimeter rope that you're putting together with stacked uh, overhands, that it actually will roll quite a bit, both of those knots. So as you were talking originally, Vin, um, some of these knots work very differently if you've got a significant or even a slight, in my example, um, difference in the size of the knots. Um, so again, if you're putting together two similarly sized ropes, there's probably other choices for those bends as we describe double fishermen's and a figure eight. Um, so another way to put two things together, Vin, is you've got uh, a figure eight um, knots on bites. So let's say I'm trying to clip, I'm short on rope, uh, and all I've got in my pack is webbing. Uh, and so how am I going to pull the, how am I going to safely get those two together? Yeah. So yeah, what I would do is tie a figure eight on a bite on both sides and then just clip both of those loops together. There's a couple of things there. Like that's a knot that I, I know I'm going to nail every single time. If I'm under a little bit of stress, like I came down halfway and then I realize that I'm a little bit short on the pull side, I'm going to get it right every time. There could be other options. This one's always going to work. Yeah. And I'd say, you know, from a safety perspective, uh, you know, you could do an overhand on the webbing. Um, for that bite if you really wanted to, but it'll it'll bind pretty well if you're fully weighting that. So you always got to get back to, um, you know, do you think you're going to be able to get it back out of your webbing or not after you're done? So the figure eight, even on the webbing, even though it's kind of, you know, fat, um, you can still get that untied just like you could with a rope. So that is a good choice for clipping those two things together. And then there's a, a another knot that we don't use that often, but if you happen to have two very, very differently sized ropes, um, there is the concept of a sheet bend. So there's a knot called the sheet bend where you, um, you know, use your smaller rope to basically strangle the, the fatter rope um, in a very specific way. And uh, what I thought was interesting, Vin, just a little trivia tidbit, um, is what a sheet bend really is, if you look at it. Is, uh, it's a bowline with a cut loop. Yeah. Uh, really so, cool. yeah. So if you, um, so it's the same concept as to how you're making a bowen. And, uh, so it's just making, you don't really have the loop that's in there. So it binds together quite nicely. Um, so anyhow, let's, um, let's take a quick break and, uh, we'll come back in just a second. This podcast is brought to you by Bell Bicycle Helmets. Want to get into canyoneering, but hate buying expensive protection? Bell Bicycle Helmets are for you. Ask yourself, if climbing and canyoneering can use the same helmets, why not recreational biking and big wall sports? Whether you're rappelling the 360-foot watercourse on heaps or racing your Schwinn against a 12-year-old, 
Bell Bicycle Helmets have been the go-to head protection for Walmart shoppers for decades. Bell Bicycle Helmets, because damage brain, bad. What do you think of that, Vin? That sounds great. I want one of those. Ah, Vin, sounds like you've taken a couple of falls on a Bell Helmet. All right, so let's uh, continue and talk about another type of hitch I know we've mentioned on the previous podcast, and that is the climb heist. So what do we do with that, Ben? Uh, climb heist is a type of friction hitch. Uh, and it's great because I always carry like a double length sling on me anyway. Uh, so in general, I'm using it for self-rescue. So I'm going to tie the climb heist above myself. And then the sling is so long that it already is kind of a preset foot loop that I can step up and solve whatever problem I'm trying to do. Yeah, and one little tip on that. If your sling isn't long enough, what I've done before is taken my... VP, VT and just, you know, clip the ends of the VT to that sling. Now I have an extra, we'll call it a foot or so, and I'll just stick my foot into that VT. And so it lengthens it if I ever need a little more uh, length or what I'm doing to just secure it to my foot. Uh, and so the next uh, very important knot is to isolate a core shot, right? So uh, you either rappelling down a rope or you notice that there's something wrong with ropes, maybe even before you deploy it, but you need that rope because it's your long one and there's a long rappel. So um, specifically, Vin, tell me about the reasons for the alpine butterfly. Yeah, the alpine butterfly is a, is a great way to isolate the core shot. Um, it separates the, the, the way that the force is applied um, by connecting the two, the two ends of the rope, even though they're inside, and separates that damaged section out. The Alpine is also really great because it is multi-directional. You can kind of pull it from any direction and it still maintains the same force. Yeah, so the Alpine Butterfly um, we'll also use in search and rescue if we just want to place um, within the rope somewhere to either clip to for safety. Um, you could do that if you're, if you're um, passing the knot. I've seen double alpine butterflies where you've isolated the core shot and they can create another alpine butterfly with that in the mix. And then you have a place to clip into. Um, or if you're putting you know, another pulley or something into the system, you can put an alpine butterfly anywhere. And as you suggested, um, clip into it and, and it'll be in any direction. Um, but there's also a, um, so once, once you've learned all these knots, people will go, ah, I know the figure eight, I'll just put a figure eight bite into the rope and do the same thing. Um, but you cannot. And the reason is because that will pull apart. So even if you're isolating, uh, the loop of that figure eight for a little bit, um, it is not what would be defined as an inline knot, right? So if you're waiting the two ends, that figure eight will roll and roll um, until it pulls itself apart. And now you're back on your core shot. So just a word of warning to folks, there is a reason why we use alpine butterflies and not figure eights. We use figure eights for a lot of things, but that is not one of them. And you don't want to clip anything into the and put a figure eight bite in the middle of it and pull on the two ends. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about advanced um, I'll call them knots or hitches or those types of things. It's a little of both here. So if we're going to rig releasable, so we talked about the static block. So one of the options, Vin, um, that we would commonly use if we were doing is a figure eight, not a, not a figure eight in terms of a knot, but in this case, the old fashioned metal figure eight descenders, right? So tell me how I would use that as a releasable block. Yeah, I a releasable block is a, is a great way to move through a canyon. It doesn't take that much more time than rigging a, a static block. We don't always do it, but it is a good option. Using the figure eight device, you're going to wrap it in a locked off way. 
Uh, there's a couple of different ways to do it. But then that acts as the block against the repeat, the same way the carabiner would in a static block. However, now you have the additional advantage of being able to partially undo it and then using it as a as a lowering device if somebody needs that assistance. Yep. And then, you know, you can still do the pull like you normally would by pulling down the figure eight if you want, or the last person can can pull that and you can um, repel double as you wish as well. So it is a nice, a nice way. And like you said, it doesn't take much longer. Uh, another option is to rig a munter mule overhand. So this is actually a series of knots and hitches. So the munter, um, as I described before, it looks a little bit like a clove, but it is um, releasable. And so the munter itself will not hold anybody. And that's the purpose of it because you'll unbury this pile of knots and get you back to the munter. So you can vary in a very controlled way um, lower someone on that munter. So that's what you're trying to get to in order to secure the munter. You, um, you could do a mule, um, and then you'll have this, uh, bite that comes through the mule that allow you to pop it off when you need to. And, um, and so then it's a simple overhand knot with that, um, with that bite that's coming through the mule. So those three things together affectionately referred to as MMO. So, um, so that's one way to, to rig releasable. Um, uh, I, generally don't love that mostly because if you ever walk up on a on an mmo it just looks like a pile of knots frankly um and so that's not my favorite because if i if i glance at a figure eight uh descender that's set up as a releasable block i can pretty much tell whether it was wrapped correctly or not and that it'll hold um but and i can also have a backup you know figure eight um behind that whole system if i wanted to um or other kinds of things to back up that um that releasable figure eight, but a Munter Mule overhand, you know, I'll admit maybe if I did it every time I could gl glance at it as well, but I think it's just, you know, with the groups that you're going with, you have to be able to have them visually inspect and quickly inspect to make sure that they know that it's correct. Um, so Munter Mule overhand, I know some of the luminaries in the industry will suggest doing that every time. Um, most of the, uh, the folks that are in this industry will also suggest um, rigging releasable every time. Um, I would say at least if you've got some newer folks that may run into issues where they're getting their hair or clothing caught in the descender, it's much easier to be prepared to release them. Um, and especially when you get to water, um, cause there's more danger in being held underneath, um, some flowing water. Um, you're definitely going to want to rig releasable, but, um, but outside of that, um, you know, between the two, I'd pick the figure eight. Any other thoughts on the rigging releasable or those two styles, Ben? Nope. All right. So this last section that I'm going to talk about is I'll call bonus knots for the toolbox. So in the, in the general um, day to day, you may not need any of these. Um, but uh, you know, the pro the pros do, if you will. Right. So the first one is a stone knot. And so tell me a little bit about kind of the pluses and minuses of a stone bin and what you'd use it for. Yeah, I think that the first time I ran across the stone knot was when I was starting to learn how to use toggles. That's like the fiddlestick um, or the smooth operator. We build the stone knot and then use the toggle uh, to hold it in place. Everyone goes down. The last person goes down, pulls the cord on the toggle, and then everything collapses. It comes down. It's really great for um, strange pulls or on the canyon ethics side, you're trying to avoid rope grooves. The second use I use it for is to isolate the strands. Uh, as sometimes our groups get larger or there are some slower people, being able to isolate the strands allows you to start staggering people on both sides. Even if they're not going at the same time, a lot of the time is spent starting to 
rig up. Uh, so as one person's going down, the other person's getting on rope, and then they're ready to go as soon as the other person's down. The last application that you and I have used it for is we're relatively comfortable with the, the beta on the canyon. We're very sure that both ropes will reach, but we can't really see the bottom. By isolating the uh, strands, we'll go down double, but if one of them is short, you can just continue going single strand because the lines are isolated. Yeah, so we know that, the, as you said, that the rope will double, but maybe there's no halfway marker in there, so we kind of throw out what we think. We can't see the bottom. So, um, yeah, that is, a, that is a nice use of it. So the next one I want to discuss is the directional figure eight. Again, one we don't use too often, but it's an interesting one. So I warned about not doing a typical figure eight on a bite, but a directional figure eight is a variant of that where it can be um, used in line. It creates a tie-in point similar to maybe an alpine butterfly, but it is made to be uh, weighted in a specific direction, uh, either up or down, depending on how you tied, I would suggest usually down. Um, but if you're, if you're going the other direction with like a, a rescue pole, it may be up on the rope. And so, um, again, another, you know, tool, the tool, having the toolbox, if I was going to do it, sometimes I would do a directional figure eight just cause, um, just to be different. But most of the time an Alpine butterfly is, is just as good and more versatile. So the next one I want to talk about is uh, a bowline van, often um, viewed as bowline, uh, most often pronounced bowline. Tell me a little bit about maybe uses for that. Uh, the bowline has, is, it's a great knot for some interesting applications. It's easy to tie. It's easy to inspect. Uh, one of the great things about the bowline is that it is easy to undo regardless of how hard it has been stressed. Um, one of the possible disadvantages is that repeated weighting and unweighting can cause it to loosen. Yeah. And, and most of the time, since we have to get a rope back, you know, there's other techniques for doing a, a, a releasable bowling kind of, um, but that's not, you know, for what we would normally do day to day. And so most of the time, if we're doing a bowling, it's, I would say it's for a rescue, right? So let's say there is a, a person that's gone off a rock, Karen, and then um, we need to send another rope down because um, we're going to do a, a lift on them and pull them back up um, a little bit. And so you don't necessarily want to go off the same Karen. So maybe you go find something further up and uh, create a new anchor, wrap something and do a, a quick bowling around it. Right. Because you're going to untie it later. It's easy to untie even if it's been weighted, as you were mentioning. So um, those are the kinds of things. Again, we don't use it a whole lot, but when you do want to use it like wrapping a huge rock, um, that's a, it's a great, uh, quick one to, to learn and understand and easy to visually inspect to make sure that it's correct. Uh, so the next thing we want to talk about is not a specific kind of knot because many knots can be do it, but it's the concept of a, of a stopper knot. And in canyoneering, um, we don't usually use them. There are a few circumstances we'll talk about that we, that we may, um, I know that they, in the climbing world say you should always put a, a stopper knot in. Uh, so then why, why don't we use those as much in canyoneering? Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have. Uh, you know, the stopper knot, the, the reason that you use it is so that because a, a lot of the injuries that are happening happen because people repel off the end of the rope. Um, but canyoneering is all designed on the descent. And so having the stopper knot is it's a, it's a little counterintuitive in a lot of ways because the, the, you should be able to see the bag on the floor or verify that the bag is on the floor. Um, if you can't, there are other ways to stop it. The danger with having the stopper knot is 
that when you pull, it's going to cause your rope to stick, which will cause you a lot of problems down the road. Yeah. And so the scenarios where you might want one, um, you know, so if you're not sure that the rope will reach, um, again, maybe the anchor has moved back a little bit or you've stuck a rope. So now um, you're not 100% sure whether the rope you've got left will reach all the way down and you can't see the bottom. Um, maybe it's smart to put a, a stopper knot in there. Or if you're already on rappel and you realize that the rope is not down, maybe the bag came off and the bag is sitting nicely on the ground, but the uh, the rope is dangling in the air. You do want to make sure you stop as soon as possible and consider putting in a safety knot. Um, one suggestion be if you have another rope with you um, or you have webbing or whatever you think that you need, um, you could go ahead and do a figure eight bend. Um, you could also do a, a figure eight on a, on a bite. Um, and then, as we said before, you could uh, potentially clip in once you get down to it closer. Um, you could clip in and then pass the knot, um, clip in something else like webbing or another um, rope as a figure eight on a bite and pull those two together and then just pass the knot. So you have some options. The figure eight's a nice fat one. Um, there's some other stopper knots you can pull from the from the climbing world, but you just may have to undo it and then redo it when you're putting your your other rope together with what you've got. Um, so, so those are kind of a couple other suggestions. The last thing we want to talk about is, you know, the choice of knots. And the reason why we're suggesting, um, some of these besides being easy to tie, easy to inspect and easy to undo is also that there's, um, great strength in what, um, so if you have a hundred percent, um, meaning full rope strength, right? So if something breaks, at a certain 100% rope strength length, most of these knots, or I'd say all these knots will reduce that strength of your system. But the good news is on the more popular ones, like a figure eight, you're still going to be in the 75 to 80% range of your full strength of your rope. Um, a bowline is uh, 70 to 75%. And then you get into the next set that we've talked about. So the double fishermen's, the water knot, um, generally on your webbing, your clove hitch and your overhand, they're in about the 60 to 70% range. So I think a rule of thumb uh, generally is if you're putting a knot in the system, you, you know, if you want to go to the low end of that, uh, you're often talking about that 60% percent range in terms of strength. And then other ones that we've mentioned, or maybe not, um, that are much lower is that stacked overhand that we were saying is great for a pull, but you probably don't generally want to repel on it is a 40 to 50% range. Um, and then the, just your old fashioned, you know, childhood square knots more around 45%, which is also why we don't use that much. Um, so, so that's some of the, the things that are taken into consideration. So to have like that figure eight be up to 80% of your overall strength of your rope and it's easy to untie, that's a, that's a winner and why we use it so much. So Van, anything else that we want to talk about relative to the strength of our knots and, uh, anything else that we've missed today? I think that covers it. Okay. I appreciate everybody listening and we'll talk to you again soon.